All right, I'm going to jump in. Uh, I've been waiting to preach this message for about 15 years. So I started it about, uh, oh man, uh, a month ago, I guess. And then we had community groups, and then I had another message on my heart that I preached last week called uh, The Other Side. If you didn't get a chance to listen to that, um, go back and check it out. It was, God was really talking through some really amazing things uh, about how when he talks about something, when he gives you some direction, doesn't matter about the storms of life. His intention was for you to go to the other side. He's going to be with you the whole time you're going over there. So anyways, good message. I hope it, if you, if you hadn't had a chance to listen to it, I hope you go listen to it. Uh, today I want to start, continue actually, a series I started about a month ago called Wisdom and Power. And so let me just kind of give you a couple of observations over the last 35 years almost of ministry, about 34 years of ministry. So um, when I got saved, I didn't get saved until I was almost 20 years old. And uh, so I'd seen, I thought I'd seen the church because I'd hung out with kids who were Christians, but, you know, whether they were real Christians or they were just struggling Christians, I was like, I'm as moral as them because I had a real bad understanding of what God was after, you know, my morality. Somehow if I was good enough, he would like me, that kind of thing. And so anyway, when I finally encountered God, I had some incredible things happen, but I began to read the Bible and, uh, and somebody was wise enough to tell me to read the Bible in a translation that was modern enough for me to understand it, to find a good translation, but don't, you know, don't try to teach yourself the King James, you know, um, language so that you have to go back and study the King James Bible. Nothing wrong with the King James Bible except for it was written, you know, it was translated in the 1600s. So um, if you enjoy Shakespeare, which I do not, because <laughs> I don't understand a word the guy's trying to say, I'm, you know, I imagine it's beautiful for those of you guys who appreciate that kind of thing. But I couldn't understand it. So I got a good translation of the Bible. And what began to happen, the more I would read the Bible and the more I would go to church, the more I would find this contrast between things that the Bible said we ought to be doing and walking in and things that the church weren't walking in and vice versa, things we were doing in church and things we weren't, seeing, uh, we weren't actually seeing in Scripture, especially in the New Testament. And so I, I discovered over, just kind of began to notice this, that we, I'd gotten saved into a Pentecostal charismatic type ministry. It was overseas in England, so it was a little bit different than some of the stuff um, that we find in the States, but it was a, little, a lot more diverse in the sense that there were way different denominational kind of um, people who are, who are part of that. But um, I noticed we leaned a lot into the Spirit, leaned a lot into the power of God, and seeing God do crazy, amazing things, and we did. We saw some, some amazing, amazing miracles, signs and wonders. It's just incredible. Uh, it was incredible, incredible to see God move in power in the way that he, he, we see him move in the book of Acts in the early church. Um, but we weren't a strong word church. Like, so we, we, had, we had a lot of power, but not a whole lot of wisdom sometimes. And sometimes we, we, you could tell we didn't have a lo- whole lot of wisdom in how we handled the power. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You ever been in a church like that? And so, so this, my observation was that there, was like, there were two camps. There was a wisdom camp and there was a power camp, and it had been forming for years. And so um, mainline denominations, most of them were leaning into the wisdom side of things, where it seemed like it. And then Pentecostal charismatic churches were leaning into the power, into the Spirit. So the gifts in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, signs and wonders, some crazy stuff, you know, glory clouds and people falling out and all kinds of, I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't know all about that except I've seen it. It's happened few times it's happened to me, and so I know God's doing something, but it's not normal, 
right? Whatever normal was. <laughs> but the wisdom camp was so, they, man, they had character and had strength. And they, if, they, if they ministered to you, man, you could feel the depth of the word of God come out of them and just you know, begin to challenge your character and your destiny and your purpose and really understanding who God was and grace and all those things. And so, so I just noticed that those two camps were often set apart. And so what, what I recognize is somewhere around, somewhere along the, the last 500 years or so, there was this great divorce that secretly happened. You know, um, some of the kids stayed with one parent and some of the kids stayed with the other parent. You know, some of the kids were proud of their education and their wisdom and their understanding, and the other kids were proud of their freedom, right, and their power, and, uh, and both of them thought they were right, right? Uh, and they were. They were also both wrong, and that was kind of my discovery. So, so my heart has always been, what if um, the wisdom of God and the power of God could come back together and rather than have, you know, this side of, of the church lean into this and that other church, what if we just, what, what if we were just the church, <laughs> right? What, what, if, what if we discovered that, that the wisdom and the power actually comes in a package together? And so this scripture is where it kind of grabbed hold of my heart. This is 1 Corinthians one twenty two. It says, Jews demand signs, Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. So this is going to be a theme, you see. Paul talking about Jesus Christ and him crucified is a very important moment in history. And he says, um, it's a stumbling block to Jews who are looking for a sign. And there's a whole theory behind why that is. And then he said, but it's foolishness to the Gentiles. Some guy dying on a cross for your sins to the Gentiles are like, well, what, what's sin anyway? Right? We don't have any sin. We, we're just free doing our thing. Right? And so it, what it says next, though, is really profound and it really grabbed my heart. It says, but to those whom God has called. In other words, when God begins to move in your life, and you begin to sense this calling into the kingdom of God, and you give your life to Jesus, you give your heart to Jesus, you, you get a new nature, you get new, you know, uh, a new heart. It says, uh, to those who God has called, both Jews and Greeks, so it doesn't matter who, it doesn't matter the natural part of it, he says, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so, so often, certain camps lean into Christ the power, and some lean into Christ the wisdom. And part of our challenge is we got to get that back together again, right? we got to get the band back <laughs> together again. So, so there's this really powerful place. You see this, it, he, he brings it out in the first Corinthian church in a big way. And, and so there's some interesting contrast in the Corinthian church. So Paul contrasts the wisdom of God, because, you know, the wisdom and the power. But he contrasts the wisdom of God with the wisdom of the world. So in other words, the wisdom of God is not the same thing as the wisdom of the world. And so he goes to great extremes in Corinthians and other places to talk about that. And so 2 Corinthians 2 is a place where he talks about it. So he says, Paul said, when I came to you. So remember, Paul had, if you follow him in the book of Acts, he had just preached in Athens. He preached uh, this incredible message. And, and if you follow, we studied it in Bible school. They said this, outside of the Sermon on the Mount, this is the most powerful, amazing scripture or sermon that's ever preached. And so I studied it, and I watched in the sermon, he preaches, and he, and he even calls out some of their philosophers. So he's educated, Paul's educated, so he knows the wisdom of the world. He understands, you know, all these different philosophers, especially the Greek ones. And so he's bringing that to bear, and they're all interested, and they're listening, because that's what they do. They would get together, and they would just talk about all the wisdom and news and, you know, and, and concepts and all these things, and they would just talk about it. Not necessarily live it, but they would talk about it. And then he gets to the supernatural and he says, and, and God is going to judge the world through this, this man, Jesus, who died on the cross and, and came back to life again. And the moment he mentions the supernatural, the moment, the second he mentions the supernatural, there's this phrase that says, um, and, and 
A bunch of them left. Right? They walked out on the sermon. And uh, some of them said, we will hear you again on this matter. A few people, a very few people were actually changed by it. And so what happened was there, there was this beautiful, wise counsel, theory, concepts, philosophy of religion that Paul was talking about until he got to a supernatural moment where Jesus died on a cross, right? He lay in a tomb for three days, and then he was resurrected. So the second that happened, anybody with the wisdom of the world says, first of all, that doesn't happen, right? So whatever you're talking about, it doesn't happen, except for it did, right? But, it, it, but the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God are not the same thing. And so often part of the wisdom camp is we get caught up in the wisdom of God, but if we're not careful, we lean more and more and more because we love wisdom so much, we lean more and more and more into the wisdom of the world, and we get this mindset, there's a, even a term for it, it's called cessationism, it means ceasing, the gifts and the ministry of the Holy Spirit has ceased. That's what they believe. God did it in the early days to establish the church, but God's no longer doing signs and wonders or supernatural things. He's not, he's not healing the sick. He's not casting out demons. He's not doing any of those things. So, well, then what do you have left? You have a people like Timothy, it says, that they have this sense of godliness, but they deny the power thereof, right? So it's an interesting picture that the church has become powerless. And, and then what, what does it do when it does that? It, what it does is it just begins to compete with other philosophies. And so if that's the case, then what's the difference? What's one philosophy over another one? There's five you know, major religions in the world, and one of the things that's different about Christianity, two things really, one is it's the only world religion with a savior. Every other world religion, you can save yourself. You just work hard, change your ways, you know, turn over a new leaf, Every time, you know, it's a lot of leaf turning <laughs> in those religions. <laughs> Work harder, brother, right? Um, so that's the first thing, is that, that there's no Savior. And the second thing is there's also no supernatural. What's really fascinating about cessationism is in, in Bible college, uh, I went to a Bible college that was believed in the things of the Spirit, but I know some guys who went to Bible schools that didn't. They were cessationists. It was really fascinating because they tell me stories and they said it's really interesting. Missionaries would come into the Bible school and they would share these great stories of God moving and, you know, people getting saved. And, and it was almost always some demonic attack where, you know, the witch doctor was healing people or the witch doctor was cursing people, you know, and these crazy supernatural demonic things, which was fascinating to believe because they would believe that the devil still does the supernatural, but God no longer does. Isn't that interesting? So all of that happened secretly. All this began to happen where if you're not careful, you realize, you know what, I'm trying to live a Christian life without being supernatural. And you can't even be a Christian unless you believe in the supernatural. Because the only way you can be a Christian is to believe that Jesus died for your sins, rose again, and because he died, his sacrifice was accepted and received. We know that because the Father raises him from the dead, right? Signifying that the, that, that the, uh, the, the intent that, that he laid his life down for to pay for your sins, that that was an accepted sacrifice by God. So you can't even be a Christian if you don't believe in the supernatural, right? So What's interesting, you see this further on, chapter 12 and 13 in Corinthians is really interesting because chapter 12 is this whole thing. It starts out with, I remember, I loved it in the, in the King James Version. It says, I wouldn't have you ignorant brethren. And I remember reading that. I'm like, I know a lot of ignorant brethren I wouldn't have either. 
show where my heart was. But, but it, that's not what I meant. It says, I wouldn't have you ignorant, brethren. In other words, I don't want you to be uninformed about the things of the Spirit. You know what that tells me? That tells me that the Corinthian church was uninformed about the things of the Spirit. It doesn't take long. Go read it. You talk about uninformed. Those guys were scary. If I was Paul, I would have never admitted that I planted that church. I'd be like, Apollos did that, and we're praying for Apollos, and you know, he'd get right with Jesus or whatever. But he, he, first of all, he admitted it, and then he spoke into their lives because he was trying to correct something and bring something to truth. They were misusing the gifts in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the power of God. They were not operating in the power of God through the wisdom of God, right? They were trying to do it in the wisdom of the world because the wisdom of the world is selfish, self-seeking, and all those things, and that's how they were using the gifts in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we see that even today. Churches who do these things sometimes will get involved in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and it, it, just has, it doesn't take long. You watch them and go, man, those, some, those are some self-seeking people. Does God still move among us? Absolutely. He'll move among us because he has an intent and a heart regardless of what mine is. So he'll still bless people. He'll still move in power even when we're not doing everything right. It, that's, that's what grace is all about, right? So chapter 12 and 13, 12, he, chapter 12 of Corinthians, he's going after the things of the Spirit. He said, this is what the Spirit of God looks like. Here's some of the gifts. Here's how he moves in power. And then he, he takes a, a break and jumps back into it once he gets to chapter 14. But how many of you guys know what chapter 13 is? Anybody know? The love chapter, right? And so often you, pre- you see this preach, you hear this preach, and they preach the love chapter in contrast to the gifts. So basically what they're saying is you have the gifts, but you know really what you need is love. That is not at all what Paul was talking about. What Paul said was, here are the gifts, and the only way these gifts are going to work the way that they're supposed to, to walk in power and to see God move, is to stop being selfish and stop using worldly wisdom and walk in the wisdom of God. Well, what's the wisdom of God? Love. Create an environment of love, because that's what Jesus did, right? Jesus, by laying his life down for you, said, I love you more than I hate your sin. See, we often forget that. We think God just hates our sin, but he doesn't love us. And so if we're not careful, we'll get all mixed up, and we'll, and we'll miss the power of God, we'll miss the love of God, we'll miss everything, and we're just striving as believers, trying to get God to love us when he already does, trying to get favor from God when his favor is already upon us, not because of us, but because of what Jesus did for us, amen? So I just want to take you through a couple of things, some foundational truths about the gifts of the Spirit that kind of illustrate this wisdom and power and how God intended it to work. So wisdom... Um, Here's an example. The gifts don't speak to the maturity of the person manifesting. So you see this in Corinth. Uh, you had guys operating. He starts out, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, he says, you guys are not lacking in any spiritual gift. That's a powerful statement for a church. Not a single gift that you guys are lacking. You're walking in all of them. You're doing it wrong, <laughs> but you're walking in them, right? So what would happen is people would manifest the gifts of the Spirit, and it begins to be confusing because you see someone manifest the ministry and the power of God, but also you see some worldly wisdom in self-seeking and, you know, and, 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 and trying to be in front of people, making it about them instead of about God. Let me give you an example. I've seen this happen a million times. Someone would come up to share something that the Lord had given them, and this is how they start it. They say, you know, as I was praying, like, nobody cares. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad you're praying, but we didn't know you, need to know that you were praying. But they'll say, as I was praying, as I often do, at 4 o'clock in the morning, which talks about the sacrifice that I get up early to pray. You guys may not do that, but I do that. And I was praying for a long, long time, you know, and then finally they get to the part where God talked to them, and then they actually say what God was trying to say in the first place. So we encourage at our church, we encourage you to just skip all that stuff on the front side, 
we don't care. <laughs> we preach so much grace that if you're doing it well, awesome. If you're doing it poorly, it's not who you are anyway. God's going to change that. So let's just leave that off. Let's just get to what the Lord is saying. Right? And even then, the Bible says we're looking through a glass dimly. We don't see perfectly, which is why we have multiple people. Because the Bible says when the gifts come that others get to judge. The people in the congregation, mature believers, leaders get to judge. And the Bible says to, to test the spirits to see whether they be of God or not. So that sometimes spirits are moving or the spirit is moving, but it's not God's spirit that's moving, right? So you have to filter that out. There's a, there's a gift called the discerning of spirits, right? It's not the gift of discernment. That's just judgment. I have the gift of discernment. No, you don't. There's no such thing. And so what does the discerning of spirits do? It tells you, is this what this person is doing? Is that from the Lord? Is that from the devil? Or is that from their spirit? And we're always sorting that out. Kathleen came up during the worship time. She said, I feel like and sense the Lord is doing this. Now, I love Kathleen. She's amazing, right? Um, Totsky married up. Again, that's how it works, right? <laughs> and so she's amazing, has a great history of walk with the Lord that constantly comes up. I meet people all the time that she's connected to um, that long before she ever got to DCF. But she came here, and she's a mature believer. She comes up. and she, So I know a little bit about her character. And she begins to share with me about the Lord's saying. And I sense, first of all, this is not Kathleen's spirit. It's definitely not demonic. This is actually God's spirit trying to say something to our church. He's not just talking to Kathleen. She knows that, so that's why she came up front and says, hey, I feel like this is the Lord. But she submitted that to us, to, to me as a leader, and, and allowed us to judge that and say, yeah, that's from God. And that kind of launched us, if you will, into what we were experiencing walking in the presence and the power of God during our worship time. Super cool, right? So, so what happens is these people, just because someone is available, right, and willing to be moved, move in a gift, doesn't mean that they're mature. Now, why is that important? It's important because you don't have to be mature to start. I remember a guy came up to me, he'd just given, given his life to Jesus, and he, I was, at the time, I was a pastor at another church, and he came up to me and he said, I feel like the Lord is saying something to you. And I was like, okay. And he laid it on me, man. And he was 100% accurate. It was something that the Lord had been talking to me. No way he could know. And he's just standing there looking at me. He's like, is that from God? I'm like, yes, it is. <laughs> he's like, yes, that's awesome, right? He's so proud of himself, <laughs> right? Which got a little sinful and a little awkward because he was back into the wisdom of the world, right? But here's my point. He barely knew Jesus. But he was willing and able and, and, and had given himself to, to use, be used in the gifts of the Spirit. Some people have been in, in the ministry of, you know, in the kingdom for 20 years and are still unwilling and still not available. So what's that all about? Maybe you grew up in a wisdom camp and you're a little bit afraid or, or you know, not sure how to operate in the, in the things of the Spirit. That's okay. Read Corinthians. He'll teach you. <laughs> Come talk to us. We, I've done so many dumb things trying to find the Spirit of God and the move of God. A, a friend of mine came up, to, he went up to a guy and prayed. He said, I feel like God wants to heal your leg. And that guy goes, well, that's funny because it's wooden. <laughs> and then he leaned down and knocked on it. Clink, clink, clink. And God's like, oh, okay. Well, maybe he wants to heal the good leg. Is anything wrong with that one? <laughs> and then he was just reaching. And it turns out he was, just, he was just anxious and he was excited and he totally missed it. Right? I always think back and like, well, what if he wanted to give him a new leg? That would have been fun, wouldn't it? That would have been really fun. We actually had a, a lady came and was part of our church for a little while. She said she was paralyzed from the waist down at one point in her life. 
and she was walking, so obviously that was in the past. And she said, what was so cool is when it happened, she goes, I, got, I was paralyzed, I was paralyzed for a year. She said, uh, the ladies in our church, wasn't DCF, another church, got together and prayed and prayed. Every week they prayed. Come, just lay hands on me and pray. It wasn't an event, it's a journey towards healing. Pray, 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 pray. And she would go, uh, every week she'd go to physical therapy and, you know, work everything so her muscles weren't completely in apathy and, you know, work the upper part of her body. And uh, one night she went to the, to the uh, small group. Um, they prayed over her for healing, and she was healed instantly. Like she said, I felt my bottom of my foot start to tingle, and, um, and I, I heard the Lord say, stand on it. So she said, so I did, and scared everybody in the room. We all have faith until miracles happen, right? And we're like, where'd that come from? It's like, well, I, obviously, I didn't have enough faith. <laughs> I would been, yeah, of course it happened. Yeah, yeah, I was praying. You know, that's, that's what God does. But isn't it kind of an indicator? It's like, it, it's so abnormal. Supernatural ought to be normal. So she has this healing. Get, of course, she, you know, it's, she loses it. Everybody's excited. And then the next day, she walked into physical therapy. You're talking about freaking everybody out. Everything stopped, and she got to share Christ with every person in that room. The physical therapists, the people who were struggling, she prayed for people's healing. A few people were healed. Yeah. So what happened? Um, you know, weird is only weird until it's not weird anymore. Right? So that was, you know, it's like normal is I'm paralyzed. Well, is that the wisdom of God? Because what did Jesus do when he encountered sick people? You know what he said? He said, you know what? You're sick because God is trying to teach you something. Because that's what good fathers do. They give their kids botulism. That's what good fathers do, right? It's so dumb, right? But here's again, going back to the wisdom of the world and different wisdom. I hear people sometimes pray for sick people. And I've done this, so don't feel bad if you've done this. But I pray for them. God, heal them. Oh, you know, and you've got to get the waver in your voice because that's how preachers, oh, you know, whatever it is, you do whatever. You scream, you shout, you kick them, whatever, you know. Everything you can muster to get God to do what God said he would already do. <laughs> right? And, and we pray. Now think about this. Maybe this challenges your thinking, and I'm, hope, I'm hoping so. That we pray for healing as if God does not want to heal them. Why do we do that? Why, why is it that we do it? One, I'm not sure I believe that the supernatural, first of all, is available. I'm not sure if God really wants to heal me. Because, you know, think about what, if you knew what I've done, God would, you know, he would be like, you know, you brought this on yourself. Uh, Andrew Sharp, some of you guys know Andrew, he planted a church out of DCF. He's over in Greenville, uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, same thing, whatever it is. Um, <laughs> anyway, he said not too long ago they prayed for a guy and he was healed of lung cancer. And he said, Dave, I kid you not, the guy had a pack of cigarettes in his pocket while we were praying for him for lung cancer. And he said, I had that moment, that thought in my head of, That's, he doesn't deserve it. He brought this on himself. And then he thought, Man, how many things I brought on myself? Some of you guys know Andrew. You know the answer to that, right? <laughs> right? But so, the, so you don't have to be mature to walk in the things of the Spirit, but maturity actually begins to help. Why? Because the wisdom of God is not selfish. It's not self-righteous. It's not self-aggrandizing. It's not self-anything. It's devoid of self. It's beginning to move into, God, what are you doing here? So now when I pray for people for healing, I pray and I say, God, 
You didn't say for me to pray for people to heal. You just said to heal them. And I'm actually learning how to do that. And I've been in ministry for 35 years, been a Christian for a little longer, or 33 years, been a Christian for a little longer than that. But I'm still learning how this works because I have so much bad baggage and misunderstanding about who I am and who God is and how he works. And the more I read, the more I study, the more I delve into the depths and the, the, the grace and the kindness and the goodness of God and who he is and who I am in him, the more I discover that so much of this is not about me. And yet all of this is about me. That God loved me so much that he wanted to come and rescue me and remind me of who he made me to be. To cre- he created me with an identity and I got it all wrong. I was deceived. I, was, I got into sin. I made a mess of my life. Like we were talking about this morning, I, I, I turned it into little knots of yarn in a basket. And God's like, if you'll let me, I will unravel that and I will, I will weave a beautiful tas- tapestry out of your life. And that's what he wants to do with you and I. But you have to be willing. Secondly, ignorance and immaturity in their use can do more harm than good. Listen to the scripture. This is crazy. 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. In the following directives, Paul writing to these guys, I have no praise for you. That's, a, that's an apostolic way of saying, you guys screwed this up royally, right? I have no praise for you. Why? Because your meetings do more harm than good. How would you like someone to come to your church, invited to preach as a guest preacher, and they stand up and say, I don't have any praise for you guys. Your meetings are doing... It would be better as a church if you stopped meeting. That's literally what he said. You are doing this so wrong, right? (laughs) And then right after this, this is chapter 11, right after this, you can see his apostolic heart and his father's heart. He says, so you're doing it wrong. Let me teach you how to do this, right? And so he begins to teach us about the things of the Spirit, and he begins to show us that the, the power of God must be... Tempered is not the right word, but it's the only one I can think of. Must be tempered by the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is not a bunch of knowledge that God has. It's the interaction. It's the way that that knowledge works. Because regular wisdom is just an accumulation of knowledge, but it's the interaction and how you use that knowledge. That's worldly wisdom. But it's often worldly wisdom is selfish. It is only selfish, right? That's the way worldly wisdom works. It's about me. The more information I get, the more knowledge I get, the higher education I get, the more I can learn how to do things, the, the better I can, the nicer car I can have, the bigger house, you know, the better success, all those things. But it's almost never about other people. I preached a message last week about the other side. There's this little tiny phrase when Jesus says to the disciples, let's go over to the other side. So his intention was they're in, on mission with him. They go over, he's sleeping in the boat, go listen to the message, but he's sleeping in the boat. They wake him up and said, Master, don't you care that we drown? Right? Remember that? And Jesus rebukes the storm, and then he mildly rebukes them. And the question he has, don't you have any faith? Right? Which the answer was, no, we do not. <laughs> right? But here's what's interesting about that passage. Jesus rebukes them for not having faith. Why? Because they had been watching him, and he told them many times, he said, you feed them. You heal them. I've shown you. I've, I've, I've given you. You do it now. I've, I'm doing, I have made it possible for you to do what you can't do without me, right? And so that little passage in there, it says, um, Jesus came just as he was in the boat, right? So he was super tired. And then it said, and other boats came with him. And here's what was interesting about this, thought about it this week. I wish I'd have brought it out last week, but this is what he said. Um, Jesus was basically saying, you know, if you would stop thinking about, because remember the question, don't you care that we drown, <laughs> Right? And not one, 
not, they didn't even try, they could have tried to manipulate Jesus to go, Lord, look at all those little boats out there that came with us. Now, they're not famous like we are, get to be in the boat with you, because we're your disciples, because we're amazing, right? But, but those poor guys, <laughs> the waves tearing them apart too. Not one single time did they mention that, those other boats. They could care less about anybody but themselves. And even amongst themselves, they would fight and go, who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? Well, of course I am, right? So, so you see the picture, it's selfish. This whole thing about um, ignorance and immaturity in the gifts and using the world's wisdom to move in the power of God keeps getting us in trouble. Your meetings do more harm than good. And, and lastly, clarity and simplicity are the most effective. So often in, in Pentecostal circles, charismatic circles, and I've been guilty of this, so anything I'm telling you, I promise the fingers come back at me first. We, I, I would pick fruit before it was ripe. Pick green fruit. You ever do that? You ever eat a persimmon that's not ripe? You will not do it a second time, I promise you. It's, it sucks your mouth up and your just whole face turns inside out. It's, it's nasty, right? And, and, and any kind of green fruit like that, it's, 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 just, it's not sweet. It's not ready. You can't enjoy it. And, and the prophetic and the ministry of the Holy Spirit is like that. That's why sometimes you see us scrambling, maybe not the best word, but we're asking the questions up here as leaders. We're, when the move of God comes, we're trying to say, Lord, what is it that you're doing? What is it you're trying to accomplish this morning? Not let me get up here and show you how powerful I am. I am in the blue you know, sparks flying off my fingers because I'm the amazing man of God and you guys are just peons. You know, there's clergy and there's laity. Right? Anybody ever felt that? <laughs> it's like, I'm, you know, he went to Bible college, so God can use him. I, I went to Bible college, and oftentimes that's why God couldn't use me. Because <laughs> I had some, like, like Rodney was talking about, I was misaligned, so many things I didn't understand. So here, this clarity thing is you have to get to know the Spirit. You have to know who he, the Spirit of God has moods. We started out our worship time with a celebratory, excited, warpath kind of thing, right? With this one particular song. And our team led us in that. And there's like, drive, drive, woo, woo. You feel the power of God coming in like a wave about to crest and come over us. And there were words that came. And then the, the song changed and the mood of the Spirit changed. And it went more intimate. And it got, in, you know, it just, it's amazing how the mood of the Holy Spirit changes. So here's the thing. If you're jumping up and down and excited when the mood of the Spirit is contemplative, you're, you're maybe missing it. Maybe God's doing something personal with you, and if that's the case, more power to you. But here's the thing. If the service is moving a certain direction, and part of our job as elders is to administrate what the Holy Spirit is doing on a Sunday morning. If, if we're not careful, what happens is, I have a pet thing that I want to do. I care about marriages a lot, so every move of God is about marriages getting healed. Because <laughs> that's my thing, right? I want to see marriages healed. That's not the case. I mean, I do want to see marriages healed. I'm saying that's not my personal beef, right? But, but, but if it is, if I'm not careful, I take the things of the Spirit and I manipulate them for my own good and my own use, even if it's a good thing. And the whole issue is that transformation, the Bible talks about this in Romans 2, transformation comes from something. It comes from a renewing of your mind, right? So let me just kind of switch and talk about that for a second. This is Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? So that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. The whole idea behind growth and maturity, learning about the power of God, walking in the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of the world that we call the wisdom of God. We just call it wisdom, right? It's about transformation. Transformation comes because your brain gets, it gets rewired. Um, there's a lot of study right now about neural pathways, 
there's a Dr. Caroline Leaf, who's a neuroscientist and a strong believer. She talks about this, and she says it this way. Our thoughts travel on brain highways called neural pathways. Now, obviously, they had to oversimplify this so I could understand it. But metaphorically speaking, the wider the highway, the easier it is to repeat the same thought. It's why it's easy to get into habits that are bad or habits that are good. Whatever you keep doing and you keep thinking, however you think, that's how you tend to think more. And what happens is the more you think, the wider the highway gets, metaphorically, and the easier it is to keep thinking the old way. So what happens when God comes and says, hey, I want to renew your thinking? And you say, for example, you say, you know what? Um, woe is me. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You know, I'm just, Lord, I'm just trying to do my best here. You know, I, I'm, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And it sounds so spiritual, except it's completely antagonistic towards grace. Are you a sinner or are you saved by grace? Because you can't be both. Pick one. And so often churches keep preaching to sinners when they have been saved by grace. They keep reminding you of your sin over and over and over again. And you know what? You're happy to do that because that's what you do. You remind yourself of your sin all the time. God, you know me. You know what a broken... And you tell your story. Oh, I was a drug addict. I was this and I'm a horrible person. <laughs> right? And God's like, that's funny because that's not what I think about you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. But Lord, if you knew what I did, the Lord knew what you were going to do before he made you. So surprise, not to him, <laughs> surprise to you. So when he comes and he lays his life down on the cross and he says, I've given my life as a ransom for many. So he said, short version, I paid for your sin, past, present, and future. Now let me just challenge you as a Christian. If you keep sinning and doing dumb things, you know, <laughs> there's no pill for stupid. You keep doing dumb things, you're going to get dumb results. You keep breaking all the, you know, the alignment of God and, and not doing God's, God's thing God's way, you're going to keep getting the wrong results. It's just a pattern because our neural pathways is the way I think. I'm unwilling to change my mind about it. I, I'm not going to repent. I'm just going to keep doing it. You are going to keep reaping the consequences of those misalignments. But if you begin to get this mindset of, I am a new creature in Christ. I have a new heart. Sometimes the patterns of my life still look like the old man because I haven't renewed my thinking in that. A big one is money. You think about money the way you used to think about money. And God's like, I want to talk to you about the fact that you don't own anything, that you are just a steward for everything that I own, and I'm putting you in charge. You get to live like a king. It's phenomenal. You get to live in a mansion. You get to manage millions and millions of dollars of resources, but they never, ever belong to you. But I'd rather think the Old Testament is like, as long as I give a 10%, the Lord will do for me what I want him to do for me. Right? So I, I give to get. Instead of going, God, everything I have is yours. So if you, if you want to talk to me about giving my car away, whoo, I don't want to do that. <laughs> Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. Do you really mean that? You know how you find out? When God says, hey, I have a thought. You're like, uh, don't talk to me. <laughs> right? But, but, and it's so, it's so funny because it's so often not what we think it's going to be. It's so often is I'll say something about myself. Right? Uh, my friend Greg, I was talking about him earlier. His wife sometimes, she's, she's amazing. Um, she'll say something as women do sometimes. You know, they'll say something about their appearance or about their dress or about their shoes, you know, whatever. And, um, and he'll look at her and go, hey, nobody talks about my wife like that. 
I love it because she just smiles because she hears what, what he's saying is, don't you have a thought in your head that Jesus doesn't have about you? Right? You don't get to do that. Every thought, every thought in your head that is not redemptive in nature and full of hope is not a thought from heaven. You have to renew your mind. You have to think differently. And so understanding the gifts in the ministry of the Holy Spirit is a big part of that. What, what are the gifts in the ministry of the Holy Spirit? What are they for? I'm so excited when God uses me. But you know what they're for? They're not for me. They're through me. But there's something powerful that happens when I minister a word of knowledge or healing or whatever God does supernaturally. When I do that, it's a powerful thing. And I watch what he does. I get to be the beneficiary of the joy of what God is doing through me into another person, but also realize that God just used me powerfully, that I was submitted, that I was, I was channeled with him, I was in alignment with him, and there's a beauty, there's a sense of the feeling, oh man, God, this is amazing, that I'm in partnership with the gospel, that, that I'm, I'm coming alongside of God, I am a co-laborer with God. Now let's be honest, when he says co-laborer, he's doing all the work, right? I'm just submitted to it and believing that it's true and taking a step of faith and walking in it and then everybody looks at me and go, look how amazing you are, you're such a powerful man of God. Remember they did that with Peter and, and they're like, oh look at you, the great power, you guys are angels and Peter's like, hold up, wait a second, you think that we did any of that through our own strength or power? You are mistaken. Let me tell you about Jesus. See, the word, the wisdom of the world would have said, let me talk to you about how amazing I am. That's Peter. And interestingly enough, in the book of Corinthians, that was one of their problems. They were following pastors, right? Paul, Apollos, Peter. And, and Paul writes to him and said, you got this all wrong. I only baptized a few of you guys, so you're, if you make it about me, you've missed the whole point. Let's make it about Jesus. And they began to do that. So these neural pathways... It comes from something. You, you have to change the way you think. So what happens when this occurs is very, very interesting. There's a transformation process that occurs, but it only works. You're only transformed to the degree your mind gets renewed. So what does that mean? The Lord comes to you and says, hey, I want to talk to you about how you're talking to yourself. Right? You're praying. The Lord begins to talk to you this morning. God says, hey, I want to unravel some things. Right? That was powerful, and he, he meant it. But you got you to make a decision that you're going to think differently. Because he comes and says, I want to talk to you about the way you talk about yourself. Lord, I'm just. If you start any of your phrases with I'm just, you've totally missed the call of God on your life, right? I'm just this, I'm just that. No, no, no. That's what God says. You are the head, not the tail. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You've been gifted. You've been strengthened. You've been given grace. The favor of the Lord is upon you. Not because of anything you did. You just believe God for the goodness and you begin to walk in it. And if you're not careful, you... you, you you know, you start thinking about, look how amazing I am, which is exactly what the Pharisees did. I don't need to repent. You know what repent means? It's the word metanoia. It means to take on a new mind. And religious people don't think they need to repent. They don't need to say they're sorry for their sins because they really don't have any, right? But their greatest sin is their goodness, their own righteousness because it's self-righteousness, the, world of the, the, the wisdom of the world, rather than the wisdom of, of creation, the wisdom of God, in a gift of righteousness. And they get it all mixed up. So, we're transformed to the degree our mind is transformed. So here's the thing, and I hope this gets to your heart. We can have many, many, many encounters with God and not be transformed. So, if encounter doesn't ensure transformation, then what does? The answer is simple. It's submission. You have an encounter with the Lord. God says, 
hey, I just showed you something about me that you didn't know, which in turn is going to show you something about you that you didn't know. Remember I said uh, some of you guys, your, your ass is big enough, right? <laughs> right? Um, I need to love my neighbor as I love myself. And so how in the world are you going to love your neighbor when you don't even like you? So the Lord comes and says, I want to talk to you about your, your self-worth, your value. Maybe you had a father who never told you he loved you. Maybe you have a father you were always trying to perform for. Maybe he was never pleased with you. Maybe you wished he had said he loved you, but he never actually did. You're never really sure if he did love you. Maybe your mom was overbearing. Maybe she was too protective. Maybe, 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 maybe. It doesn't matter. Whatever those things are can be overcome because you are now a new creation. None of that stuff matters anymore. So who does God say that you are? The real question is, do you actually believe him? That's all you got to do, just believe. It's interesting, we're called believers, not understanders. It's not about knowledge. Most of you guys have more knowledge than you'll ever need of the Word of God. That's what I'm saying. Some of you guys grew up in the Pentecostal camps. You've had so many encounters. You've been laid out. You've been laid on. You've been <laughs> stepped over, stepped on, right? You've been in the Spirit. You've shaken. You've not shaken. You've been stirred, not shaken. You know, whatever. I'm just... And you're like, and, and, and you got up, because this is what we used to say all the time. We're like, I don't care how you fell down. I, I care how you get up. What do you look like after you get up? Did that encounter with God change you? Did you learn something about him? Did you believe something about him? Did, in turn, did you believe something about you? And if you ever believe something about you, you can love people the way the, way the Bible says, to love your enemy. You cannot do that. You cannot do that in the wisdom of the world. It is impossible. But in the wisdom of God, God says, hey, I want to show you who I am. I want to show you who you are. And now I'm going to show you who these people are. And you're going to look right past them. Remember, some of you guys remember the story. Nikki Cruz goes to the gang members of New York. And uh, um, I mean, the, David Wilkerson goes to Nikki Cruz. He's one of the gang leaders in New York. And he says to them, you know, Nikki says, if you keep coming and preaching this gospel, I'm going to cut you into a million pieces. And he said, and if you do, every single piece will love you just as much. And Nikki gave his life to Jesus, eventually became a preacher himself, and he said that I could not get away from that. Love had become the ultimate weapon because in Nikki's anger and his hatred, everything he was going to do to this guy, this guy loved himself enough to know who he was and loved Nikki in a way that Nikki didn't love himself. I just want to challenge some of you guys this morning. You don't, you don't love yourself the way God loves you. And because of that, you find it difficult to love your spouse, love your kids, to love other people, especially broken humanity. It's very difficult. But transformation is not going to occur unless you begin to believe something different. So let me wrap it up with this. This is a scripture in Matthew 4.17. It says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so we've often heard, repent means to come to the altar and cry a big river of tears. I cannot tell you how many times I've done that personally and walked away unchanged. Emotional, but unchanged. Right? I had, a, I had an encounter that did not lead to a transformation because I did not believe what God was trying to say. So then I just became an altar tramp. <laughs> Every time there's an altar call, I'm like, I could feel the presence of God. It would draw me, and I would come, and I would, Lord. And I would think, because this, this, again, my worldly thinking, I would think if I repent, if, I, if I'm sorry hard enough, I will change. If I was just, you know, the problem is you guys just aren't sorry enough for your sin. That's obviously what, what your problem is. Anybody ever heard that sermon? 
Sometimes that's a series that they do every single Sunday at some churches, right? I've done it. I've preached it. But the question is, um, how sorry do you need to be? The answer is there's two kinds of sorrow. The Bible says there's a sorrow that is worldly sorrow. You're sorry you got caught, right? Anybody have kids? You know what I'm talking about? And then there's a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. So think about it. It's not a godly sorrow that leads to you being sorry. Because that's what we think repentance means. I, you know, I busted. I'm obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm laid bare before the king of glory. He sees me accurately. I'm scared to death. He's going to judge me. And, I, and I'm like, ooh, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> but how sorry are you really? Are you sorry enough to let God transform you? Are you sorry you got caught? And the moment you walk away from the encounter, it's like you, the Bible says that we look in a mirror, and then the second we turn away from the mirror, we forget what manner of man we are. And so how does this work? God says if you look into this mirror, the word of God, the power of God, the, the moment of God, the encounter of God, all these things lead to the same thing. You have, there's a moment where you experience the wisdom and the power of God in the man Christ Jesus. And he, like the woman at the well, he said, come, come and listen and see a man who told me everything about myself. And the corollary of that, she didn't say it, because she hadn't learned it yet. But the corollary was, and he still loves me. Right? And so I've been in those moments where I've had an encounter with the Lord, and I look at the mirror, and I don't like what I see, but I don't believe the Lord saying, I can change that. I am the one who can transform. What I need you to, to do is not just be sorry. Be sorry, that's fine. Cry, be emotional, that's fine. It'll probably come that way. But you have to believe something different now. Who do I say you are? Remember that Jesus asked the question, who do men say I am? And they didn't know until Peter had a revelation from God that changed who he was eventually, right? But the same question gets flipped around at some point when you see Jesus for who he is. Remember Peter's now kneeling before God and he says, um, Jesus said, are you going to leave me? And Peter says to him, where are we going to go? You are the only one with the words of eternal life. So this revelation of, okay, I know who you are, God. And then Peter is now on the beach. Jesus is getting ready, you know, to, he's, he's already been raised from the dead. He's getting ready to ascend. They're about to launch on the mission that God's called them to. Not just transformation for their own sake, but transformation to a mature believer. Why? So they, they could be on the mission that God had called them to. So it stopped being about them on the boat with Jesus, being afraid they were going to drown, and begin to realize, okay, I have enough faith. I can speak to the storm myself because Jesus lives inside of me, and I can rescue all these other little boats who have come with us. Right? I can begin to think, stop thinking about me and my selfishness and begin to believe and think about who Jesus says I am for the sake of the world. And Peter's on that beach and, and Jesus is talking to him and, and he three times, because Jesus had denied him three times, and he says, you know, um, Peter, do you love me? He says, yeah, of course I do. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. And then, Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. But here's what's interesting. At some point, Peter, when the last question comes, he says, Peter, do you love me? That's what Peter said. He said, Lord, you know I do. This is a moment came in Peter's life where he knew who he was. He said, I have, my identity is no longer a fisherman. My identity is I am loved by God and I love him from my heart. 
Do I get it right all the time? Go read about Peter. He does not, right? But what he had gotten right was he had taken on a new mind about who Jesus was and about who he was in relation to God, and he was loved. We sing that song during worship so often. People question it. They're like, I don't know if we should sing about, you know, um, the, in, the good, good father song. You know, um, I'm loved by you. This is who I am. See, that's an identity question. And some of you guys, you haven't answered that question yet. Do you love yourself the way God loves you? So what's that have to do with wisdom and power? It's a short, short and sweet. The wisdom of the world sees this, you know, this worldly sorrow as, you know, I just, you just got to be constantly sorry for your sin. Sorry, 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 sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. If God, if God knew who I was and you just, this, this long, long drawn out about, and it's the same concept when the gifts of the Spirit, you know, um, as I was praying, as I often do, four o'clock in the morning because I sacrificed. Shut up. What did God say? Right? Lord, if you only knew who I was, Lord, if you, you know, God, if you knew my past, how dumb are you <laughs> that you don't think God knows your past, right? So why do you keep talking about it? Why do you keep bringing it up? Here's a big question. Why do you keep letting the enemy bring it up without putting it down? This is what the Bible says. Every thought, every single thought needs to come into the captivity of Christ. It'll take it into, make your thoughts obedient to Jesus, right? What does that look like? Any thought you have about yourself that Jesus isn't thinking about you you need to put that thing in a jail cell somewhere until it starts serving the purposes of God. And if you do that, what's going to begin to happen, worldly wisdom is going to begin to fall away. Godly wisdom begins to rise up inside of you. And what you begin to see is godly wisdom and, and, and godly power are in one person in Jesus. So let me, let me just end with this scripture. It's a beautiful scripture. It says, this is Ephesians 1.15. He said, the Father of glory may give to you This is his prayer for the Ephesian church. That the Father of glory may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. See, wisdom only comes from knowing who you are in him. It's knowing who he is and then knowing who you are in him. And he goes on, he says, the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. You know what that tells me? That they weren't. That they were still ignorant of the truth of who God was and who he was in their lives. He says, but it comes in the knowledge of him. He says, that you may know so that you can know, not wonder, not question, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Remember we talked about this a couple series ago. You have an inheritance through the gifts, inheritance through the gifts and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, right? You have an inheritance in the favor of the Lord upon you, but you personally are God's inheritance. I love the whales, I love the trees, I hug them often but I don't love them more than people. Why? Because there are any trophies of grace called oaks. They're oaks of righteousness, but that's you. So the only trophy of grace in heaven is you. This is what the Bible talks about. It says if you would know that the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, his inheritance is in you. Are you walking as the inheritance of the Lord? And lastly, he says, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. So the way you see God move in power is you begin to get the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is just, it's all of it is found in Jesus. Who does Jesus say you are? They watched him, they watched him do ministry. And over and over, you know, the last, the last message I preached, 
They were terrified because they looked at Jesus and they said, what manner of man is he? And that was, the answer was, he wasn't. He was God. And that's who he is. He's not changed. The spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in your mortal body right here, right now. And then lastly, the Bible says, you know, how do you, how do you get the mind of Christ? You don't. You already have it. That's what the Bible says. You have the mind of Christ. But how do you walk into the mind of Christ? The answer is you've got to get a place where you begin to believe what the Lord is saying about who you are, about who he is, about your, your purpose and your destiny, and, and whatever that looks like. And it's going to look crazy. I mean, I, I, was, I walked away from a job, got fired on a Thursday. I was driving home, and I was like, oh, man, what am I going to do? I'm buying a house um, on Monday, or I mean, on Friday. I'm like, this is terrible. But the guy told me, he said, I'm gonna, I, you're fired because I wouldn't cook the books. There was good reasons. <laughs> and, and it gets to the end of it, and, and he says, I'll, I'll, I'll pay you through Friday at 5 o'clock. And I was driving home going, what am I going to say to my wife? Here, what about the plans? We're helping plan a church. Uh, freaking out, right? I, I walk in the door, and Karen's standing there. She was, she'd been doing the dishes, and she turns around, she looked at me, her hands dripping wet, and she says, you got fired today, didn't you? I was like, in my, you know, I went to worldly wisdom instantly. I'm like, they called you, didn't they? She's like, nope. She goes, I was doing dishes, and God said, they've got fired today, but it's going to be okay. I didn't believe that. I didn't. And the way I know I didn't believe it is for the next month, I fretted and freaked out because I thought, you know, in, in his version of me being okay was he was going to deliver, I was going to get everything that I need. Everything was going to be perfect. It wasn't. Right up to the line. We had bought a house. That next day I went in. I was going through the paperwork. I'm like, God told us to buy a house when I don't have a job. That is not worldly wisdom. <laughs> Financial people tell you, do not buy a house if you don't have a job. It's just, don't be in a relationship with a guy who doesn't have a job. It's also, a, Right? So I'm getting to the, and it says, are you currently employed? And I'm like, well, I'm not going to lie. And I looked up, and it was 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, and I said, yes, I am, for at least another hour. Right? I, I had faith then because it was the front of the month, and then the payment was coming due, and now I'm embarrassed. You know, I'm the pastor. What are we going to do? I'm not getting any money. And right before the last minute, um, my wife's mother sent us a check for, the, for that payment. She had never, she was poor as a church mouse. She'd never sent us money before, never sent us money after. One time she sent us money. It was the exact amount we needed for a payment on our house. What was the Lord trying to say to me? Do you really believe me? But here's the thing. This is where it's going to get you. If you believe him, are your emotions lining up with what you believe? It's a good way to tell. It's okay to struggle because what God will do is he'll take you on a journey and go, hey, I'm going to show you this. I'm going to show you this. I'm going to show you this. And Paul wrote, and he said, by now, some of you guys ought to be teachers. So just because you've had encounters with God, just because the Lord has told you something, that doesn't matter. What matters is, what are you going to do with what he told you? Two questions a disciple, and I'm going to pray for you. Um, two questions that every disciple has before he becomes a believer, all the way up until he's you know, leading a movement in God. What has the Lord said to you, and what are you doing about it? So I want to make it super practical for you right now as we close. What has the Lord said to you? If you're stuck, if you're freaking out, if you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do, my life's a mess, Whoa! what's the Lord said to you? What has he said to you? If you're not a believer, he's saying, it's time to repent and become a believer. Put your faith, put your trust in me. That's what he's telling you. If you're a pastor, you're trying to grow a church in your own strength, you should quit that. 
You say, Lord, what are you telling me to do? I'm going to do that. And I'm going to trust you for growth. I'm going to trust you for everything. If you're trying to have a baby, whatever it is, trying to be in a relationship, you're struggling for money, what has the Lord said to you? And if you don't know, your first, the first thing you need to do is get before the Lord and say, God, talk to me so I can stop thinking about how I can make this happen and get on the path that you are working in my life. And I'll trust you for every single thing. I'm repenting. I'm taking on a new mind. I'm not believing anymore that I can do it because I've shown that I can't. Now I'm believing that you can do it if I put my trust and I put my faith in you. What has the Lord said? And are you doing it? I want you to stand with me. So Jesus, we come right now. Lord, first of all, we thank you that you don't, Lord, you don't judge us as believers anymore because um, the cross, Lord, you paid for every bit of wrath, Lord, that was due us. You paid for it all on that cross. And Lord, um, we don't have to suffer under that. We don't have to fear that any longer. Lord, all you have for us is your favor and your goodness. But Lord, so often when we don't see it lining up, it's because we're not in alignment with you. So Lord, would you do that right now? Something I said this morning, would you go after that in our hearts, Lord? Whatever captured me, Lord, would you go after it and go, hey, I want to talk to you about this. I don't want to scare you. I don't want to do that. I just want to talk to you about my ways are higher than your ways and you can trust me. Lord, would you just do that right now? Would you speak to those moments? Whatever you're saying to me right now, Lord, would you make it clear? And then, Lord, I, I have to make a decision about what I'm going to do about it. Will I believe you? And will the motions, the, the actions that I take next, be in line with believing you, Lord, or will I still continue to believe what I believed before? Do I take on a new mind or do I still have the old mind? Lord, this is the wisdom of God that every bit of this, Lord, is found in you, Jesus, you and you alone. So I trust you, Lord, to speak to me and I, I trust you to carry me. I trust you to lead me. I trust you to empower me. I trust you, Lord, to move me. I trust you for it all. Lord, I am yours and you are mine. You know I love you. So I trust you now. In your name I pray. Amen. If you need prayer this morning, we'd love to pray for you guys. Uh, Our leaders will be up here at the front. Come and let us pray for you. Otherwise, have a wonderful, wonderful week. See you next Sunday.